Hi, I'm Marinze working with the media team at Outlier. Unfortunately, Jamie wasn't able to record with us today. However, our next online event, Diffusion, is fast approaching. We're really excited to have you join us and are keen to give you a recap of our last event. So in this episode, I'll be going through five of my favorite moments from our last Diffusion with a little bit of context in between. If you found these discussions exciting, you can sign off for our March event at diffusion.events. We're starting off with a panel led by Jamie, discussing Big Tech versus the Open Metaverse. A super insightful conversation considering the moments we've seen in the last year from companies like Microsoft, Facebook, and Nvidia. In this clip, the panel discuss why we can't dismiss Big Tech and the vulnerabilities and limitations of the Metaverse. With Aaron McDonald, the co-founder of Fluff by Non-Fungible Labs, Giorgio Constantino, the co-founder of Six Agency, and Rahila Zafar, who is the documentary producer behind Minted. Let's talk about the pros and cons of, of these, these two opposing worlds. Firstly, are they opposing? Is there a third way? Is there a hybrid um, between the two? Um, Aaron, you know, why can't we dismiss big tech? I mean, I, I feel like that's quite an obvious one at the surface level, which is that um, they have the users today. Um, and so being able to teleport users to their vision of what the metaverse is and have them feel somewhat that they've made that transition um, and maybe not know the difference between, you know, what we see as this open metaverse and what, what um, will just be VR version of Facebook. Um, is something that's a big risk. You know, that's something they've got up their sleeve. Um, I think also they've got access to, um, you know, political capital, which um, I think as this thing shapes out, we're going to see politics play a role in the metaverse um, because the true open metaverse is kind of about breaking down structures, um, whether that's um, ge 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 geographies or whether that's um, cultural or whether that's um, political or whether that's financial um, you know the, the the metaverse we all think about or we all kind of imagine is one that transforms the paradigm of society in a digital world and moves us from being you know tied to these very discrete um, Ge geopolitical boundaries into something that is more more akin to what the internet is designed for which is an open space um, where people can participate from anywhere no matter who they are um, so that is going to get political I feel because you know if you if you go down the real metaverse path then you can start to see things like you know companies and countries start to be less relevant and probably the people in those power structures won't like that um, so I think those are probably the two big things. They've got the users, they can pr provide a UX that, that feels like the vibe, um, and, and they've got some political power. What are the kind of vulnerabilities or limitations of the metaverse? Because I'm sure we could all sit around here talking about all the, all the great stuff that we love about it and why we want it to exist. But is that not just being utopic? What's the reality of the open metaverse today and its limitations? I mean, I, I think, you know, what people like Facebook and Epic Games and all these bigger entities kind of have in their favor right now is like everybody knows how to go to Facebook, make an account, sign in. Like my mom uses Facebook religiously and it's like, it's just, it's got the whole demographic covered as far as ease of use. Uh, I think when you start talking about the open metaverse, there's there's a lot of risk out there. And, you know, it's, it's not necessarily a very safe place for the people who are not completely, um, you know, up to speed on best practices and, you know, we, I think crypto and, and people working on the open metaverse, like we've got a long way to go to make it um, 
convenient. Like you want to have people opt in to the open free metaverse, but like a lot of people aren't going to do that at the expense of significance of ease of use and just safety. You know, I think the idea of having your wallet drained or, or any of these other things that you hear about on a daily basis, like we've got a long way to go to, um, to normalizing, I think just best practices. And I think also just like, just the design of a lot of these protocols and the things that are being developed, like they're, they're designed in, you know, for the people that are pretty familiar with this stuff already. Um, so I think we, we can use uh, a little bit more work there, but um, I think people are always going to want, or at least a lot of people are always going to want to opt in to the open and free metaverse, because we've kind of seen what all these guys did the first time around. Um, and, you know, there's an opportunity here to like have our own. And I would hope that like, you know, as these bigger companies start to pivot, people working at Facebook are like, well, why don't I just go do this with people like Aaron? Uh, and, you know, hopefully we can kind of steal some of their best and brightest minds to, uh, to build something a little bit better. A fascinating discussion led by a collective amount of in-depth knowledge. Our second clip is from another panel led by Jamie. In this panel, we cover bringing brands into the metaverse and talk about why brands should care about entering the metaverse and why they should at minimum engage with it. Jamie was joined by Benoit Pagato, the co-founder of RTFKT, Sebastian Boget, co-founder and COO of The Sandbox, Kadeen James, creative technologist at Yahoo, and Louise Carranza, the founder of Fair Labs. So let's kind of jump in. Kadeen, I'm going to start with you. Um, so what is the opportunity? How do you frame the opportunity? Why should people care? I know, you know, you've been having this conversation with brands pre-Facebook meta. As I said, I, I refuse to call them meta, but like Facebook meta. Um, uh, you know, what, how have you been framing that? Why, why have brands been exploring this with you? Why should they care? Well, it's a great question, Jamie, and, uh, you know, one that we've obviously been doing a lot of thinking around, um, you know, the metaverse is a future for brands that, that want to stay relevant. Um, we know that digital fashion inside the metaverse is going to be absolutely huge. Um, so are our digital identities and brands have understood that the metaverse deserves their attention. Um, in the last 18 months here at Yahoo, we've launched an integrated XR studio in central London, which specializes in 3D virtual production including motion capture, mixed reality broadcasting. You've been into our studio, Jamie, you've seen it a couple of times now. Um, we've also built a volumetric capture stage to add to our photogrammetry rig. We've hosted a VR fashion show, a virtual Halloween escape room, a global AR scavenger hunt, and we recently... Metafest, you did Metafest right in December. I was just going to come to that. We recently dropped a virtual concert for the singer-songwriter Nina Nesbitt, who performed as an avatar, Ready Player Me avatar, uh, in a, a crypto music event called the Metaverse Festival inside Decentraland. Um, she was also rocking artifacts, sneakers, um, as was I at the festival. And, um, you know, we supercharge experiences for the metaverse using creative technology and immersive production to produce next gen content inverse across multiple platforms and devices. And we reach audiences at scale all over the world as part of our media ecosystem, including Yahoo Finance, Yahoo Movies, Yahoo Entertainment and Yahoo Esports. So we really see the metaverse as the future of the internet. And we're really excited about the opportunity that this presents to brands. 
well, you sold it to me. Maybe I should start thinking about this metaverse stuff. Um, so, Benoit, you know, why why should you know people have a different understanding of the metaverse? Obviously, Zuckerberg's got his. Um, I imagine a lot of brands you see doing activations and things like Roblox, and as far as they're concerned, that's the metaverse. As much as they might think that um, Fortnite is. You know, we obviously collectively in, in this little panel here subscribe to this concept of a more open metaverse, maybe the open metaverse. Why should brands choose to engage with the open metaverse rather than these closed environments and NFTs specifically, despite all the friction that they come with today? I mean, already, I think it's very good that they engage with Fortnite and Roblox. And, and what you see coming out these days is that they've been. I think planning since the COVID started, some of them a bit earlier, but most of them really woke up to video games in general only you know, a year and a half ago. So you need to take that into consideration. You know, lots, lots of these brands are really big, they are very slow, they have a, their core business is doing really well and they focus on their core business of the physical side of the business. So I think it's really good already that a lot of them you know, open their eyes to video games and are starting to get serious. Uh, you know, some of them did that as a one-off and then other ones are really understanding that it's big. And then suddenly they all got shocked by the metaverse and NFT space. We've all been doing hardcore, you know, for the past year, I would say it really started to really, you know, get public knowledge in a sense. And then it just takes time for them to, I think, look at it. But the, I, th I think they need to look at both sides, right? But the, well, now that Facebook really announced the meta stuff and their thing, I think it's going to be a lot easier for brands to work with Facebook and what Facebook is doing because it's an actor they've been dealing and spending a lot of money on for years already with Facebook ads and all the social media wave that also took the brands by surprise, you know, 10 years ago. Uh, so I just think it's going to take quite a bit of time. And, and of course, they should look into the open metaverse and also join the, the kind of fight we're all trying to have against the closed metaverse. Uh, because if we have them on our side, it's just going to make that fight, you know, make us stronger for that fight. Uh, but I just think that it's going to take a bit of a time for them to really understand and, and think that this is a core subject for them they want to fight on because they have to fight still on the video game and all the other stuff they were late fighting on, in a sense. That's my blurred answer for you. But do you think that it's also like, um, so of course, on the one hand, they want reach, right? And clearly in the closed metaverse, the, there's the audience there, ready and waiting, looking for content, easy to activate. Um, but is it that cool to be doing things? I mean, you know, they think it's cool because they, they get PR from it, you know? So that, that's what a lot, the problem with these brands is that they are very big and organized in different departments. So they each have their own objective and people behind it want to have a promotion or stuff like that, right? So it's not 100% purely, you know, dedicated strategy towards, okay, do I want to be there in 50 years? I need to, to start be, to be serious now. But at the same time, it's quite hard for them to work with people like us because, you know, us, we don't have an account manager. We don't have this type of things, right? Whereas with the normal actors I used to deal with, like Facebook, they have already a process they need, they know to follow and, you know, it's legal, like all of this is done. So, it's just a bit hard. And, and the, that's why if we do stuff with big brands, you always need to make sure you do the best you can so that it's not scaring them off from that and they just go fully on the Facebook side. Uh, but um, yeah, that's that's a complicated subject. Excited to see how big brands and corporations will navigate through the metaverse. Our third clip is from a panel led by Outlier Ventures token designer, 
Jan Bereswell, discussing the future of play-to-earn gaming and what it could potentially mean for the gaming industry. In this panel, we cover how play-to-earn is a new innovation in gaming that effectively gives players a chance to generate revenues by participating in games. Players create value for other gamers and developers by engaging in the in-game ecosystem and earn assets for their contributions. Jan is joined by Robbie Young, CEO of Animoco Brands, Marco Ban, founder of Game DAO, and Beryl Lee, co-founder of Yield Guild Games. So let's start off with talking a bit about how gaming in the metaverse is more than play to earn and just maybe moving away from that concept a bit, just kind of looking at it from first principles. Um, Robbie, maybe we can start with you. And by the way, um, these questions are just meant as prompts. You know, anybody else who has like some input, please feel free to just make a discussion out of it. And I'll continue with the next prompt once once we run out of steam. Sure. Um, so, Robbie, no, how think... do you think we can um, co players can co-create value, and maybe how do you think generally about this space? Sure. Um, I think I think first of all, play to earn is a fantastic new innovation. Um, you know that we have in gaming now as a result of the fact that we have blockchain underpinning a lot of games uh, that have come out recently. Um, but I think we can think about many different things that blockchain enables. You know, blockchain fundamentally enables content ownership, and so with that ownership comes the ability to trade and monetize the content. Um, and sometimes, you know, I prefer to think of it not so much as play to earn, but um, play to not lose everything. Um, because I think one of the good ways to think about blockchain games is that once you have ownership of the content, a lot of people and a lot of media attention, etc., has been focused on the idea that people can make money and that what they buy in games, for example, might appreciate in value. Um, but I think the more fundamental change as an industry from traditional gaming to blockchain gaming is more about the idea that um, players just won't necessarily lose everything. In a traditional game, all the money you spend, 100% of it goes to the developer. You never get anything back. It's a one-way system. Blockchain games you know, turn that on its head because that sword that you buy in the game, it may not be worth more than you paid for it, but it's worth something. Because a new player coming to the game has the option to go to a marketplace and buy your second hammery sword. And so another secondhand marketplace, maybe you want to sell that at a discount because you've decided, I'm tired of this game. I'm going to go to another game. And so there's always a market for secondhand digital goods. And this means that when you don't lose all your money in games, you'll be more likely to spend more money to begin with. So I think that this is an important point that's often lost kind of in the in the smoke and, and excitement of, of all the opportunities to make money. Maybe Marco, you could uh, elaborate a bit on how some of these innovations could transition into the Web2 gaming space, if at all. Like, how do you see that playing out? Yeah, what I observe is uh, like play to earn as a paradigm is, is quite nice. And of course it helps a lot, especially if you frame it with a narrative like this. But also there's like a yeah, little bit of a downside, so to say, because um, most creators in the Web2 space, like vi traditional video games, uh, currently cannot really participate in Web3-enabled games. And on the other end, uh, even the Web3-enabled games um, yeah, somehow have little incentive at the moment to really innovate in their like, business model, for example. So NFTs, from my perspective at the moment, it sounds a bit harsh, but... Uh, it's more like an add-on feature uh, to existing business models. And so it doesn't really push people to really move into Web3 apart from 
benefiting from the item ownership upside, which is already a very big one. But, and to answer your question, um, if we really want to uh, enable this, uh, this industry, which is stuck in Web2, on tap them transition into Web3, possibly NFTs and any play-to-earn mechanics aren't enough. So we need, for example, better tool chains as well, because currently everything Web3 related is super complex in terms of integration. Play-to-earn gaming seems to have a bright future ahead of it for both developers and gamers. Our fourth clip is from a panel led by our Filecoin program manager, Blake Lezensky, discussing how NFT wearables are currently the hottest new commodity in the fashion world. In this clip, we talk about what the future holds for the fashion industry as NFTs are becoming more popular and explore how digital fashion wearables give a new utility to fashion. Blake is joined by Santiago Restrepo, CEO of Filtier, Troy Osanoff, co-founder of Juice, and Carol Hilson, Senior Director of Product Innovation of Farfetch. Without further ado, I'm gonna kick off with uh, a question about the dematerialization of clothing. And I'm gonna ask Santiago, um, how do you think did this trend come about and became part of the fashion industry? I think it's been around for a long time. I just think that it's been a different, it's been looked at differently. So if we've looked at gaming, uh, digital clothing and games, it's been around for decades now, and it has been producing money for a substantial amount of time now. So now with companies like Fortnite and Roblox now integrating the fashion world into their strategies, now I feel like the fashion world is now looking at this and saying, you know, this is probably what's what it's going to be. You know, this is actually going to be something that is sustainable. And I think that to this point, it had to be the NFT introduction to the element, you know, to this whole mix to really take this to a commercial level, because now it allows for the real ownership of these assets. So all of these assets before that you were buying in these video games were in closed environments and they didn't have ownership. If Fortnite closed down tomorrow, all of these assets would be lost. So now with this introduction of NFTs, these people actually have real ownership over the digital assets. So I think that's what's going to be kind of the next step to pushing this to, you know, wide, wide scale consumers. It's going to be interesting to see how the fashion world and NFTs will collide in the months and years to come. Our final clip is from a panel led by Jamie. They discuss how we can build a personal metaverse and what identity means in the context of the metaverse. This panel explores how a user could personalize their own metaverse and how this digital medium could open new pathways for self-expression and the implications surrounding multiple identities. Jamie was joined by board Elon Musk, founder of Board Industries, Krista Kim, artist of Krista Kim Studios, and James Shannon, CEO and co-founder of Oris Studios. So maybe before we go into how we might build personal spaces, what they might look like, what will be the kind of um, important principles, I think, you know, we, we kind of first need to try to explore identity. What does identity mean in the context of the metaverse? And I guess alongside that, what does belonging mean? Um, because like the more I speak to people like our panelists here, or on the podcast, the more I actually understand the metaverse to, to kind of increasingly be about identity. I think you know, understanding identity and concept of metaverse is, is perhaps the, the North Star. Um, so, you know, Board, you've obviously built a successful pseudo-anon identity. Um, as you say, it's, it's kind of evolved. Um, but what is identity to you in the context of the metaverse. I know you've also got, you know, professionally a, a gaming background. 
Um, so this isn't a new thing for you to be considering. I think the the biggest difference um, between the real world identity and the the, the pseudonymous identity or in the metaverse is um, control over uh, the story of your identity. So in the real world, a lot of your identity is placed upon you by the outside world. It might be based on where you're from, what you look like, what your career is, what your degree is in, what your expertise is in. Um, you can have different slivers of identity depending on maybe you know your friend group or people that you associate with, the hobbies you choose. But a lot of your identity is is still um, you know basically something that is is placed on top of your head. And I think with the world we're we're looking at in the metaverse, um, it's very much in your control. And it could be an identity that you create. It could be multiple identities that you create. Um, sometimes people have varying interests and they don't necessarily need to bring their full self um, into the metaverse, right? Your identity could be one that is very focused on a particular vertical like music or gaming or art. And you don't necessarily need to bring everything else with you, nor does that really add to the story you're trying to tell. Um, so I, I think that the, um, the positive look at the metaverse and the, the positive sort of approach to pseudo identity is that you're able to craft your own story. Um, and I think that then ties very nicely into belonging, because um, if there are particular areas of interest that you have, um, you can find your, your community and your crew, um, tell the story you want to tell, you know, share the thoughts that you think will be relevant to that particular group. And uh, hopefully you'll be embraced by that, by that community. Um, and everything else that comes with you um, that's not as relevant isn't part of that equation. So my hope is that um, the world we're building right now makes it much easier for people to find like-minded individuals um, who they want to spend time with online. And so, you know, presumably you occupy at least two identities, but maybe there are, are more, you know, how many identities do you occupy and with time how do you allocate time to one or the other I imagine that board Elon you wouldn't have imagined when you first started out that it, this would occupy so much of your identity presumably yeah the ratio has definitely uh, changed quite a bit over the years uh, it started off as being a very small side project that maybe took 10-20 minutes a day uh, of me you know in the shower thinking of a funny tweet um, and now, because I'm conducting business, investing, building companies as board, um, it's the vast majority of my sort of creative time and time spent online. So yes, two identities exist. One is kind of meant for family and friends, um, and the other is meant for commerce and creativity and communications. Uh, and that's, that's a bit of a bizarre place to be uh, when I stop and think about it but I think it's becoming more and more normalized. Um, I will say at least on record that I don't have other identities, but you know, who knows if that's true. Uh, I, I, I honestly don't really have time to create more, but I could see, I could see a situation where people do have three or four uh, and they spend maybe, you know, an hour or two a day on each one, depending on them being sort of different from each other uh, and not wanting to overlap the various identities. Yeah. And I know having interviewed you previously that we share a great love for David Bowie and um, an inspiration around kind of playing with identity and uh, what, what is the line between the performer and the artist and, and the person. Um, so Krista, you know, as a, as a creative, presumably who expresses themselves or aspects of their identity through their art, 
um, now as NFTs, how much do or could NFTs form part of that expression of identity? That's a really good question. I, I think that NFTs are primarily a mechanism for sharing ideas and a mechanism for um, expanding consciousness. I see the metaverse as a consciousness field, um, expansion of the universe. Um, I think that when we're actually I, creating identity in the metaverse, it really truly is an expansion of who we are as fluid beings. And the, NF the NFTs allow us to um, participate in groups and uh, to monetize, to, to create communities, to, you know, to create structure around um, the ideas and the experiences that we wish to share. So as a, you know, as a creator myself, and I have the Mars House, for example, I want this place to be a place of meditativeness and healing, like a, a Zen Kyoto of the 21st century and beyond. And it can exist as an NFT. And then I activate the community with a tribe that's attracted to this, this community as an NFT uh, experience, um, building that community. So it's very exciting also to think about how I can immortalize myself using AI, uh, that I can actually expand my consciousness into the metaverse through NFTs, through AI, through you know, um, through these incredible technologies that are still yet to come. But it's going to be amazing that we will have digital beings living in the metaverse that are as uh, conscious as, as we are and expanding life as itself, life as we know it in the digital realm. Fascinated to see how the metaverse will allow its users to express their identities in profound ways. It's been great running through these clips. I hope you've enjoyed listening in and if you'd like to join us for the next one, make sure to go to diffusion.events.